Well, good morning, everyone. Today, I'd like to speak to you about what to do when it feels like there's nothing you can do. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles or look up to the screen, we're going to read from Acts 16. It says, After they had been severely flogged, that is Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. A few months ago, I sat in the dentist chair. Does anybody actually enjoy going to the dentist? I'm so sorry if you are a dentist. I'm so sorry if you're at home online and a dentist. No offence, I'm so sorry. I don't enjoy the dentist too much and I was sat there and I've got the nicest dentist in the world. Honestly, she's lovely. But I sat down and she said, Andy, we're now going to prepare your mouth for two crowns. And now I'd never had a crown before, so I had no idea what to anticipate in this moment. No idea. I ended up sitting there for the next 55 minutes, my mouth as wide as it could possibly be, in absolute agony. <laughs> it scared me because she'd just keep pulling these different weapons out. Of, she'd be injecting me on numerous different occasions and my mouth was just being ragged around everywhere. It got to the point of panic when I started to smell burning and then smoke started billowing out of my mouth. The only thing I could possibly do was pray, God, get me out of, out of here. I feel entirely helpless in this moment. I was pretty helpless but probably not quite as dramatic as Paul and Silas whilst they were in jail. You see, they'd been beaten up badly. They were thrown into what was a, an underground dungeon. Their hands and legs were stretched out and they were chained down and they were under guard 24-7. This was pretty much as helpless as you could possibly be. I wonder, what do you do when you feel like there's nothing you can do. Maybe you found yourself in a season of, of just feeling like you're at a dead end or feeling frustrated because you're hitting wall after wall after wall and nothing seems to be making any progress. Maybe it's at work and you're not seeing the progress that you want to. Maybe it's in a relationship and you've been disappointed because it's, it's just hit a roadblock. Or maybe it's wider afield. Maybe you've got a friend and the challenge that they're facing just seems enormous and you've got no answers for them. Or perhaps you look around this city or around this world and, and it's easy to feel helpless. You see the wars and the poverty, you see climate change and you think, what can I actually do about this? What do you do when you feel like there's nothing you can do? 
these moments in life hit us. They hit us when we realise, actually, that this gimmick isn't going to work for me right now. This self-help book isn't going to do the job. The the latest fad or the latest app probably isn't going to make the difference I need. No human help is enough. I need a miracle. I need a, a heavenly breakthrough. I need a divine intervention. I need the supernatural to come down into this natural world and to make the difference because I don't know any other way. But it's tough sometimes, isn't it? I wish it was was as easy as simply don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. (laughs) Come on, some of you are jumping back to 1981 with me right now, aren't you? You're putting your your leopard leotard on. Don't stop believing. Come on, sing with me. Hold on to that. (laughs) Ah, guys. I didn't know how that was going to go down, to be honest, but we'll maybe work on it later. (laughs) But it's not always that easy, is it? Life can be really tough. It can feel paralyzing at times. What do we do when we feel like there's nothing we can do? I think this passage in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas teaches a couple of things. The first one is this. Keep praying. It says in verse 26, after Paul and Silas had prayed, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. When I was two, my dad was rushed into hospital. It was unsure for some weeks whether he was going to make it or not. My mum describes his, his feet and his ankles as being yellow, his legs as being blue, and his upper body as being green. Now, Even in the 80s, that's not a good look to go for. But they just didn't know what it was. They were helpless in so many ways. And so my mum did the only thing that she knew to do, and she prayed. And she asked the church to pray, and she asked all her friends and family to pray, but there was no immediate change. So they kept persisting. They kept praying. Six months later, it was a a hard, long six months, but he'd slowly made some progress and was, was able to be released from hospital. But they told him, you'll be on medication for the rest of your life and you'll carry around a draining bag with you. That next day after he was released, those friends from church came over. They laid a hand on his shoulder and they prayed again for him. And my dad says he felt something move inside of him, but, but he... He was kind of a casual church attender. He never really thought about faith outside of the hour on a Sunday. And no way for a moment did he think that he'd been healed. Well, not until the next morning he woke up and his draining bag was completely empty. They rushed to the hospital and and the hospital checked him over, did all the tests they could possibly find to do. And the doctors literally said to him, we think this might have been a miracle. (laughs) Because there's no explanation. Praise God. See, the power of persistent prayer is remarkable. And yet I wonder today whether actually that might not have been the most powerful moment in this experience. You see, because throughout that six months, my mum was praying and she was relying and trusting God like she had never done before. And, And something shifted in those six months where the spiritual temperature of her life, the spiritual atmosphere of her life changed. It lifted, her faith raised. And in doing so, our whole family and our future changed forever. 
You see, my mum was praying for, for God to heal my dad, but God was doing a much deeper foundational work to change the spiritual atmosphere of our family and of our future. Again, verse 26 says, after Paul and Silas prayed, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You see, prayer shakes the foundations of our lives. It shakes the foundations of our families and our, and our homes, our, our neighbourhoods, our, our schools and our workplaces, of this city as a whole. Persistent prayer has that kind of power. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because foundations are unseen. And we, we love to see the immediate effects of our prayer. If, if I was in that prison instead of Paul and Silas, and, and maybe they were, I would have simply been praying for an easy release. God, just let me escape from this prison really easily, really quickly. But God was doing a foundational work. God was doing a foundational work that, that those prison would shake and not just his, Paul and Silas's chains would fall off, but all of the chains would fall off. Not just their prison door would open, but all the prison doors would open. God had to shake the foundations that the jailer would wake up, would encounter Jesus' love and power and never be the same again. See, sometimes our prayers are just a little bit too small because we get sucked into just our immediate need when God is doing a foundational work within us. I'm so excited that we are building the HDB prayer room at the moment, directly under our feet in this building. Prayer and worship as the foundation of all that we do in life. Because there's so much power in prayer. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it? I find prayer hard sometimes. I really like the idea of microwave prayers. You know those prayers that you, you kind of, you put them in, you can see it spinning around, the immediate effect. You even got a timer so you know how long you're waiting. But God seems to like the slow cooker quite often. And it's in those moments of waiting and needing to persist in prayer that we really recognise our need for one another. See, Paul and Silas prayed together in the prison. And there's something powerful about praying together to encourage and to build each other up, to, to allow our faith to spark off one another. I've, I've found Tuesday mornings are one of the most life-giving moments in my week. Many of us across the church, across the sites and services, even across the world online as well, we meet online at 8am for KC 8am. We meet to pray and to worship and to believe for God to shake the foundations of our church and of our city and of our world to do a deep work. And we encourage and we build each other up. There's something powerful about praying together. Because as we pray together, we stand in unity and God commands a blessing where there is unity. I've heard of groups over the, the last few years, HTB groups who have, have done the 1102 campaign together. They've committed to, to, to text each other around 11 o'clock to remind each other to pray, to, to declare what God is doing and what they're believing to happen. There's something powerful about praying in unity. See, we might just think that God isn't answering our prayers 
but he's doing a much deeper work. What to do when you feel like there's nothing you can do? Keep praying, because God is working on the foundations. And number two, keep praising. Number one, keep praying. Number two, keep praising. On Rachel and my honeymoon, we, um, we hired motorbikes. Now, I'd never ridden a motorbike in my life. I'd never ridden abroad, to be honest, either. Um, so why we thought this was a good idea, I have no idea. Um, it was very cheap, suspiciously cheap. I'm thinking now it was probably illegal, if I'm honest. But we drove around and we had a really nice time, slightly nervous, but nice time, until the police pulled us over. Now, this was somewhat shocking and I was pretty convinced that they were gonna throw us into jail in that moment. I remember panicking and praying a lot of panicked prayers. I remember praying, God help me, God help me, please, please, God help me. But I don't remember praising much in that situation. I didn't find myself overflowing with thanksgiving and worship. <laughs> Remarkably, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas do exactly that. You see, they're stuck in prison, but they start to praise. See, praise in the prison of our lives is truly powerful. That jailer who, who was saved in that moment because the earth shook and because he encountered something of the power and the love of God. That jailer was one of the first Christians in Philippi, became one of the first church leaders in that city. That church was to go and to impact the entire world. You don't know what difference your praise in your prison experiences of life might just make. There's power as we praise him. John Mark McMillan went to church regularly with one of his best friends, Stephen. Within their, their young years, I think they were early 20s, Stephen tragically died in an accident and the whole church was, was shaken up. Their friends and their family wrestled with God discouraged, frustrated, confused, questioning. And John Mark Macmillan, in the middle of that distress, found himself writing words that many of us have sung before. Oh, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves. He didn't necessarily feel that love when he looked around his circumstances. But in the middle of the mystery, not understanding all that was going on, he knew deep in his heart that God was good, that he was loving, that he was worthy of praise, that, that Jesus sat enthroned, that he continued to be good all the time. And that song has gone around the world. Literally millions and millions of people have sung it and experienced the presence and the peace of God 
See, there's such power as we praise even in the prison experiences of our lives. I think John Mark Macmillan and Paul and Silas knew something powerful about praise. They knew that to to praise God was, was not to ignore our circumstances, but it was to acknowledge the presence and power of God within and above our circumstances. I think they knew that to to praise God is is not to deny the challenges we face, but to defy them by declaring that God is higher and stronger and greater and that his love is more powerful and more faithful. There's something powerful that goes on within us. Uh, Our perspective is shifted as we praise God. We're lifted into his presence and we see from God's viewpoint And there's an atmosphere change that takes place. Psalm 100 tells us that with praise and with thanksgiving, we enter into God's courts. And an atmosphere change happens. An atmosphere change happens where we see things differently, where our perspective is renewed, where the heavy burdens on our shoulders are somewhat lifted where we can experience a joy and a peace that transcends all understanding and makes no sense in so many ways. And yet this is the power and the beauty of God's presence. See, as we praise, we're propelled into God's presence. As we praise, we're propelled into God's presence. And not just in this building, Wherever we find ourselves, for you at home at the moment or wherever you're watching this, praise propels you into God's presence as you're at work and as you're at home. As you're walking your neighbourhood throughout this city, praise propels us into God's presence and changes the atmosphere. Lifts off burdens, lifts off weights and brings the peace and the life of God. See, God's presence has that kind of power, but it's not just for you and me. It's not just for you and me to experience here or wherever we are in life. You see, because the prisoners alongside Paul and Silas, it says they listened intently to Paul and Silas praising. Now, if I'm honest, I think if somebody was to start singing at midnight in most prisons, the reaction wouldn't be for the other prisoners to listen intently. But I think an atmosphere change happened in that moment. Some of the burdens and the weights that those other prisoners were carrying lifted off their shoulders. Because praise doesn't just change the atmosphere of our own lives, but of our surroundings as well. There's such power in our praise. And this is our passion as a church That we wouldn't just experience the fullness of life and the power of God's presence in this moment, but that everywhere we go, we would be carriers of the presence of God. That our work colleagues, our friends, our family, and this whole city would encounter the presence of God. There would be an atmosphere change. People would find Jesus and experience transformation because praise propels us into the presence of God. So when you feel like there's nothing you can do, keep praising because praise propels you into the presence of God and changes the atmosphere 
of our lives and of our surroundings. Can we stand to our feet? We're gonna, we're gonna praise in a moment. But if I'm honest, I don't think Paul and Silas here were, were praising in order to get something from God. I think they were praising because they knew what God had already done. This passage describes it, it being midnight as they sung and prayed. It being midnight as the, the, the foundations were shaken and the chains fell off and everyone's prison doors flung open. And midnight is a fascinating moment. It's a moment of transition from one day to the next. But it's still pretty dark outside. See, 12.01 a.m. doesn't feel or look very different to 11.59 p.m. the day before. It's probably just as dark. The, the clouds probably haven't shifted very much and the daylight still feels a long way away. But a transition has happened. A new day has come. And that's why I think Paul and Silas could praise because when Jesus died on that cross and when he was resurrected again, a transition took place from 11.59 over into a new day. The trajectory, not just of our lives, but of the whole of creation shifted to, from death towards resurrection, life. A new day kicked into being in that moment and we get to live in it now. And yes, it might still feel dark outside. Yes, you might have unanswered prayers. Yes, you might be questioning and wondering what God is doing, but He is working on the foundations of your life. He is at work whether you see it or not. So you can keep praying and you can keep praising because He is worthy and He is enthroned on high and praise will propel you into His presence. This is our God, seated high upon the throne, forever glorified. So Jesus, with every bit of strength we've got now, we honour You. Jesus, with every bit of faith we have now, we praise You and we declare that You are good and that You are loving and that You sit enthroned on high. So all glory be to You, all worship and praise be to Your Name, Jesus the one who shakes the foundations. <laughs>